Shaman Brachos tells a story about a Jew that was plowing with his ox. And the ox began to move. There was an Arab Bedouin that was walking by. And this particular Arab had a particular Chachmah that it could understand what an ox meant when it moved. So immediately the Arab tells the Jew, stop plowing, because your base amikdash was just destroyed. And it seems, even though the Gemara doesn't say it, but it seems that the Jew listened. And a moment later, the cow moves again. And the Bedouin Arab says to the Jew, you can continue your plowing, because know the Mashiach shall Yisrael. Mashiach was just born. This is the source. It's also a magician Eicha. But this is the source that Mashiach was born on Tisha And it's not just a cute Gemara, but it's actually brought down the Halacha in several places. a minute to say Nachem this afternoon because even though this is a terrible day of mourning and it's a terrible day of tragedy but at the same time Mashiach is born today so there's a sense of hope there's a sense of comfort in fact the Gemara says that it was understood that Mashiach's name was Menachem he was going to bring us comfort so there's a sense of hope that exists today as well brought down by the Kolbo that there was actually a minig in Klal Yisrael. We don't do it today. Maybe we should. There was a minig in Klal Yisrael to wash the floors on the, in the afternoon of Tisha B'av, in the anticipation of Mashiach coming. I remember my rebellion when I was younger. I was blessed to have a, an older generation of rebellion that would tell me that they knew people that had a Mashiach bad. They kept the Mashiach bag packed by the door. Clothing, fresh clothing, clothing that they never wore. It was the, it was the clothing that they had for Mashiach. So there's something anticipatory about the day as well. But there's an obvious question on this tomorrow. How many birthdays does Mashiach have? Every year Mashiach is born on Tisha B'av. Was he only just born that once? So what's with Mashiach today? How long has Mashiach been around? I want to tell you a very common story. I'm not thinking of any story in particular, but for those that know, this is a very common story. A guy and a girl start dating. And it's going well. They've been going out for a couple of weeks already. And it's gotten to the stage of seriousness where it could go one way or the other. And the couple doesn't know which way it's going to go. And inevitably, inevitably, a trip has been planned. The trip was planned before they were starting to date. The girl was going to be a Madrichan Mechlelet. The guy is going to be a Madrichan NCSY Kola. Whatever it is, they're going to be away from each other from an extended period of time. Winter break, going away for Sukkot. There's always, somehow, it always works out. Then in the middle of dating, 
there's a break. There's a break. And inevitably, I get the phone call, and I'm sure many Rabbanim get this phone call. Should I go on the trip or should I not go on the trip? That's the clear that they have. And this is what it sounds like. If I go on the trip, I'm afraid we're going to lose the momentum that we have. We've been dating for a month. It's going really well. It's exciting. But I'm afraid we're going to lose the momentum. But on the other hand, but on the other hand, maybe it's good for us to be away from each other for a period of time. Maybe we'll see if we miss each other. Maybe we'll see that it's, it's really special. And, and I find myself looking to call the other person. And it's, and it's difficult to be away. And then I'll know for sure. Then I'll know for sure. Because absence can do one of two things. Absence can make the heart grow fonder, which is exceptionally powerful. Or absence can numb the relationship. It can dull the relationship. It can make it feel like, okay, it's not the biggest deal in the world if I don't spend time with this person. And especially when couples are dating, they have a strong need to feel like, I'm excited to spend the rest of my life with this person. And so we find ourselves in a situation where the base of Mikdash has been destroyed for thousands and thousands of years. And maybe it's just me. I wish I could say that after thousands of years, absence makes the heart grow fonder. I wish I could sit here in front of you and authentically tell you that I yearn for Mashiach the way I'm supposed to yearn for Mashiach. I wish I could sit here and tell you that I need the Beis HaMikdash in my life, that I miss it, that I can't live without it, that life without the Beis HaMikdash is impossible. I wish I could sit and tell you that. But it's not true. And I don't think I'm alone. I spent this, this past Shabbos with Bilt. And I was spending some time with the head of Bilt. And he said to me, who would take a selfie by a grave? Who would take a smiling selfie by a grave? Who would take the time to travel across the world with their family and make a bar mitzvah by a grave? Only we could do that because we're so numb to the pain of the tragedy of losing the Beis HaMikdash that we sing and we dance by the Beis HaMikdash. We're so numb. Addison says it made the heart grow fonder. We don't even think about it anymore. <coughs> Two years ago, I was on the roof of Yeshiva Hotel with Moshe Weinberger, and it overlooks Harabayas. And Weinberger was crying. He was crying that in the place of our Beis HaMikdash, there's a mosque. And I was looking at Rav Weinberger, and I have to be honest, a little bit in a strange way, I was like, he feels something that I do not feel. He feel I wish I could say that I did. A tzaddik like that can feel something. I'm looking at him going, okay, we have the Kotel, and we have the State of Israel. And even though it's not the Ula Shlema, but it's so much more than our ancestors had, do I really miss the Beis HaMikdash? Am I really excited about the concept of Mashiach? I tell a story about the Putner. 
Kudr was the Roshiva of Yeshiva Schaim Berlin. He's one of the great tzaddikim of the last generation. And for a period of time, Rukhutner was here in Eretz Yisrael. And they asked Rukhutner, what do you miss most about being in America? For those that live in Israel, whenever we go back, there are things, even though today, Bar Hashem, it's much different, but there are still things you can't get. There are still things you can't get. I travel all across the country, and I try to go to specific places I try to go to Chicago so I can get Romanian and I can load up my entire bag full of salamis. I come back to Yeshiva, my office looks like a deli. I've got 12, 15, 16, 17 salamis hanging from the ceiling in my office. Certain things you can't get in Eretz Yisrael. Certain foods you can't get. There's no Costco in Eretz Yisrael. Rufutner, what do you miss? What do you miss? And this was a long time ago, before we had the fancy things that we have today in Eretz Yisrael. And Rav Huttner said, the one thing I miss about being in America is I miss yearning to be in Eretz Yisrael. I miss yearning to be in Eretz Yisrael. We come so often. How many of us came for our bar mitzvahs and for our brother's bar mitzvahs and our sister's bat mitzvahs and to visit the aunt that lives here and the uncle that lives here? We're here, Baruch Hashem, all the time. But we lost out on something. By coming so often, we lost out on something. By having it so accessible, we lost out on yearning for Eretz Yisrael. I don't know which Rebbe it was, and I don't know if it matters, because I don't know if it's a true story, but it's a true story, even if it's not a true story. But there was a Rebbe in Poland that one of his Hasidim was traveling to Eretz Yisrael, and in Eretz Yisrael he said to himself, what can I bring back for my Rebbe? What gift can I bring back? And so when he was there, he saw a bottle of wine that was made in Eretz Yisrael, and he said, this is the best gift that I could bring back for my Rebbe. He could make Kiddush on this, he could make Abdallah on this, and he brought a bottle of wine back with him to Poland. And the Rebbe received the gift, and his face lit up a bottle of wine from Eretz Yisrael, and he gathered around all of his children, and he said to his children, we're about to uncork a bottle of wine from Eretz Yisrael. That means that the avira de Eretz Yisrael, the air that's trapped inside of this bottle, it comes all the way from Israel. So let's gather around so we can all smell the air of Eretz Yisrael as we uncork the bottle. I'm not going to say which program. But there's a certain camp in America, and it doesn't matter which one, don't ask me which one. There's a certain camp in America that they do trips, trips across the world. They take one of the divisions, they go to Costa Rica, they've gone to Thailand. And the head of the camp was telling me, we go to Israel, but we only do the fun stuff. We don't even go to Yerushalayim. We do not go to the Kotel on this trip. Because they've been there so many times. So to take them to Israel, and to just bring them to Yerushalayim, and bring them to the base on Mikdash, and bring them to Kevarachal. They've seen it, they've done it, it's not interesting. We take them rappelling, and we take them down the Don River, and we take them hiking, but I'm not going to do the regular stuff with them. And he was saying this, and I was like, you come to Eretz Yisrael and not visit the Kota? Is that possible that that's where we are today? That a Jew could come to Eretz Yisrael and not visit the Kota? And then I was thinking about myself, am I really much better? I live here in Eretz Yisrael. How often do I go to the Kota? 
If I'm with a bus from TJJ and they're having Friday night dinner at the Kotel, I go to the Kotel. If Yeshiva were having a program at the Kotel, I go to the Kotel. Am I machved to go to the Kotel? And to tear Kriya at the Kotel? Today, everything is like, how can I get out of tearing Kriya at the Kotel? I'm not getting into the halacha of it. I'm not getting into the halacha of it, whether it's the right thing or the wrong thing, I'm not getting into the halacha of it. But we're unwilling to sacrifice a shirt. We're unwilling to sacrifice a shirt. You know, today you can buy. They have shirts that they sell, Kriya shirts, that they sell, cheap shirts that you can buy right outside the Kotel, so you shouldn't have to ruin your nice shirt. They say that with Yeshua Diskin. That if Yeshua laid diskin, as he was walking to the Kotel, as soon as like, he saw it from a distance, he would start to tremble. And as he got closer, he would be crying. And he couldn't make it because he was partially broken from it. Rav Yosef Chaim Zunnenfeld had an apartment that was overlooking the Kotel. And he was visited by a British dignitary. And the British dignitary said to him, Rav Yosef Chaim, you're the chief rabbi of, of Yushalayim. Why do you live in such, a, in such a small, broken apartment? And he pointed out his window and he said, when, th when that house gets rebuilt, mine will be built. These were people that had sensitivity. <coughs> Me, can I say I have sensitivity? Can I say that I'm sitting here on the floor in NCSY Colo and I'm crying because my house was destroyed? Because I told Baruch's house was destroyed? Can I say that honestly? The spiritual power, the morale says, that will rebuild the Beis Amikdash is the longing for the Beis Amikdash. So how do we long for the Beis Amikdash when we don't even know what we've lost? When Baruch Hashem today we have so much. How, how can somebody tell us that we're paupers? It's hard to feel like a pauper when you feel rich. This is not the Yiddish type of even 75 years ago, 100 years ago, where we long to be back in Eretz Yisrael because our entire lives were under the threat of, of expulsion and death. Today, the concentration camps are something that we visit. They've been made into museums. We're not afraid of pogroms. Baruch Hashem, we've been blessed with the state of Israel. We have an army. It's not perfect. It's not, it's not what we want it to be, but it's so good. And even though there's so much anti-Semitism in the world and it's growing, just today, the Independent published, you know what the headline, the headline was? The, the Independent, it's a chash of a newspaper. Their headline was that the IDF killed four Gazans trying to cross the border. That was the headline. You know what the facts were? They were armed to the teeth. They had grenade launchers. They had knives. They had guns. You could see the pictures of all the things that we confiscated from them. The headline is, they tried to cross the border. Okay, so there's still anti-Semitism. There's still a bias towards, towards Israel. But, but there is an Israel, and there is an army. It's hard to feel like a pauper. Sefer Haredim writes, We build the Beis HaMikdash with our lay. We build the Beis HaMikdash with our hearts. Kutzberger said, there's nothing more whole than a broken heart, but I don't sit here today with a broken heart. I don't. I wish I could tell you I have a broken heart. I wish I could shed some tears, one, two, three, even crocodile tears, just to show you that there are people that cry. I'm not a person like that. I wish I was, but I'm not. <coughs> and maybe if you're sitting here today, maybe you also feel that way. Maybe it's hard to relate to the kinos. Maybe it's hard to sit and fast. 
just another day of fasting, but like, I don't even remember what I've lost. So I want to share with you an idea from the Maccabee message. The Pasuk says, all her pursuers overtook her between the boundaries. We know that the measure says, what is Bein HaMetzarim? Bein HaMetzarim means the three weeks from Shiva Asr Bekamas to Tishabah, culminating in Tishabah. These were the weeks that we were pursued. But the Madhimi Nezrich says something unbelievable. And I think for us, it's at least partially an answer. Don't read it. Kol Rodefel. Read it. Kol Rodefel. Anybody who's chasing after God can be massive, can understand Bein HaMetzari. Rabbi Sai, we cannot sit here today and feel impoverished. I don't think it's possible. I don't think it's going to be real for us. There are Jews that feel it. If you're one of those Jews, that's amazing. I'm jealous of you. But for the rest of us, for those of us that are some simple Jews, that are just trying to make it from a shakras to a mincha, and a mincha to a mayrit, for those of us that maybe have trouble staying off of our phone on Shabbos because it's so long, for those of us that have trouble davening at all, let alone davening with passion, for those of us that see tefillin as just something that we put on our arms as opposed to connecting ourselves deeply to our Father's Baruch What's the answer for us today? Perhaps the answer is as follows. I can't, I can't feel it. But I could chase after the feeling. I could be rodefka. I could be running after God in my life. And I'll tell you the truth. Everywhere I go, I meet people that are running after our Father's Baruch in, in their lives. Just as past Shabbos. I'm sitting with the Majrichim and the Majrichot. And I'm asking them, what are the challenges that you've been facing? What are the challenges that you're facing? So as always, as we tend to do, they start telling me, 95% of the kids are amazing, but 5% they're just so angry about their Judaism. And like we spend so much time on these 5%. And we, shouldn't be, we know we shouldn't be spending time on these 5%. We know we have to give equally. But we're spending so much time on these 5%. And I said, you're wrong. You know, these 5%, they're probably chasing God more than anybody. You have to know something about these 5%. On the outside, they appear angry. They'll say the angriest things. They'll ask you the angriest questions. They're so passionate about their Judaism. They're angry, but they're passionate. They're chasing after God because they refuse to accept the Judaism like the one that they have. And it sounds like this. I'll tell you the things they say. Why should I just say the words of the sitter? I don't know what they mean, and I don't feel anything. However, you can hear the anger, or you could listen deeply to the passion that they have. They're not willing to daven if it means just saying the words. They want to connect. Why should you keep Shabbos? I'm just so bored. I'm just sitting there doing nothing. Why is that meaningful? Rabbi said, so you could hear the anger, or you could choose to hear a Jew that's saying, I want deeply to connect to Shabbos. Many years ago, a boy came to the Basarat, and on day one, he said to me, Rebbe, I'm very interested in learning anything but Gemara. I'm not learning Gemara. I'm not learning Gemara. 
I said to him, what did you think you were coming to do? This is a yeshiva that is two star a day. He goes, I know, but I heard that it's a good yeshiva for me anyway, but I'm not learning Gemara. I said to him, you must really learn, you must really love Gemara. He said, Rebbe, I hate Gemara. I said, I can't, I'm just astounded by how much you love Gemara. He goes, I hate Gemara with every fiber of my being. It's the stupidest thing. I said, I can't, I'm, I'm like blown away by how much love you have for Gemara. He's like, what are you talking about? I said, when you, when you really hate something as much as you do, you nothing, you walk away. But when you come to yeshiva and you say anything but Gemara, you don't nothing it. Hate is the flip side of love. They're chasing God. They just don't have the language to know that they're chasing God. And how many of us are like that? How many of us sit, and maybe we don't ask the question out loud, maybe we're embarrassed to ask the question out loud. But how many of us are sitting on the floor right now and saying, I don't get it. I don't get it. Roshachter cries by Abdullah. Roshachter cries by Abdullah. Do we cry by Abdullah? We run to our phones after Abdullah. Roshachter can't stand that Shabbos is leaving. It's good to know that Roshachter exists. But for me, I could feel something like that? No, I don't. But I want to. And it could be that in my life, in 20 years from now, 30 years from now, Be'ezer Hashem, I'll still be speaking here in Ensiyah like Olo, although it'll be a yant of then. But it could very well be that I'll be giving the same exact shoes. I push it, feel nothing. But I want to. There's a story with her Freifels, that there was a buffer who came to interview in Shoyashu, replacing the yeshiva. And Rafraifeld asked him, do you want to learn? And he said, no, I have no interest in learning, but I want to want to. Now there's two types of want to want to in this world. The first type of want to want to is a guy who says like, yeah, I don't know, like, I want to, but like, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not ambitious about it. So I'll just <laughs> stay in my bed and like, Maybe some madrif will say something this summer that's like, like deep in my heart, I know I want to. And then there are guys that want to want to, and they're going to do whatever they can. They're ambitious about that inner desire. But you should know that both guys, the guy who stays in his bed and the guy who's ambitious, both of them, equally, they want to. We want it in our heart. It's just so hard to access. Guys, you know that halacha? You're not allowed to force someone to give a get against their will. Because a get against their will, if you tell a person, give this get against their will, and they give the get against their will, it's not a good get. And yet, what is the halakha, guys? If they give the get against their will, it's a good get. How could that be? Says the Rambam. Because inside of every Jew, we want to do the right thing. So even though the guy is saying, I don't want to give this get, and he's handing over the get, and l'chayr, that shouldn't be a good get. It's a good get because deep inside our heart, we want to. And even though we don't want to, and even though we don't feel it, the desire is there underneath. Magni Mezich explains. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu is in the palace, he's surrounded by his guards. And when he's surrounded by his guards, it's hard to get in to see him. You have to know something. You have to have protection to get in. But when the king's palace burnt down, He's walking in the field, just like everybody else. The shrinto is bigaluser, Rabbi Yitzchak. That means that Kaddish Baruch Hu is accessible. All we have to do is go over to him. 
He's walking amongst us. But it's hard to feel it. Maybe because it's so common. Maybe it's because it's not so hard to get to the king. I want to tell you a story. The story took place 13 years ago. A bachar in yeshiva passed away. Not a bachar that I knew particularly well. A tragedy nonetheless. And they made a shloishim in the yeshiva. And the older brother came to speak in the yeshiva. I'll never forget this. And he was talking about his younger brother. And then he started to cry. And he said, for the first time in my life, the bracha of Tchiyas HaMetzim Nishman Esri, it means something to me. Because now when I say it, I'm yearning to be reunited with my brother. And I can't believe that my entire life I've been saying this bracha, and it was just words that came out of my mouth, but I never stopped and thought about it. And now all I'm waiting for is to be reunited with my brother. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Sometimes it dulls the pain. Sometimes you could be sitting here and saying, it's been thousands of years. I don't even know what I'm missing. But maybe, maybe, just sitting here today and going through the motions, we can access the part of us that says, it would be great to have it. Misavel is reflexive. It means if you can access the part of you that does more in the base of as small a part as it might be, you're already in a state of simcha because you know you're taka missing something in your life. It's a very strange Gemara. The Gemara in Yuma tells us we know that the Kruvim sat on top of the Aram and the Kruvim would face different directions if we were not behaving as we should. The Kruvim faced away from each other. If we were behaving as we should, the Kruvim faced each other. And in our peak moments, the Kruvim could be found in an actual loving embrace. The Mar tells us that when the pagans entered into the Beis HaMikdash and they were destroying the Beis HaMikdash, they found the Kruvim in loving embrace. And they took the Kruvim out and they showed the world, they marched through the streets saying, you see, the Jews are idolatrous. Look at them. We found their Kruvim in loving embrace. What's the meaning of this tomorrow? How could it be that in our moments of destruction, the Kruvim were expressing that we were at our peak? There's many answers to this question. I want to share with you one. Couples fight. It's normal and it's natural. One time a boy in yeshiva his parents had gotten divorced a year earlier. And when he came to yeshiva, he started talking to me about it. He said, yeah, it's been a really hard year for me because my parents got divorced. I said, did you see it coming? He said, no, my parents had the perfect relationship. They never fought. 
So that's your first clue. Couples that love each other, they fight. But you have to learn to listen to the words of the fight. Because if you listen to the words, what are they really saying? Every fight is just a statement of I love you so much, how could you do this to me? When a wife feels like her husband doesn't pay attention to her because he's constantly involved in work, and she says, I need your attention. What is she saying? She's saying, I love you so much, where are you? When a husband says, I feel like you're constantly on the phone with your friends, and I just want to hang out with you, even though it could be a fight, and even though they might not be speaking as nicely as they should be speaking to each other, but really underneath, what are they saying? They're saying, I love you so much. The thing I want to do most is spend time with you. The tragedy is when couples don't learn to listen to the inner message that's in every single fight. Sometimes divorce is so painful because you see two people that they just kept smashing into each other because they love each other so much. And even after the divorce, they don't know how to stop smashing into each other. Because the etzim, the love is there. Even in the most tragic of circumstances. A Rebbe in the neighborhood who I used to go to his shiurim, he gave amazing shalom by shiurim. So I used to go to his shiurim. So he said, a couple's going to get divorced. They have to go to therapy to learn to communicate for the sake of the children. And if they can get to that level of communication, at that point they could probably stay married. But for some couples it's just not true because they love each other so much but they're so bad at the communication that their mom is just smashing up against each other. I'd like to suggest that in our moments of what appeared to be divorce with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, where he slammed the door and he said, I'm leaving, I'd like to suggest that in the inner essence of that moment, there was so much love between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Kal Yisrael. We didn't want it to be that way. And the truth is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't want it to be that way. Maybe we could feel something if we tap into the love that we know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has. Shlomo Kabach told the story it was originally an Italian love poem. And he said it applies to us on Tishabah. And it's a story of a couple that they got into a fight and the husband says, and the wife says, that's it, I'm leaving. I'm going back to my mother. I can't take it anymore. I need a break. And the husband says, you're right, let's take a break. You know what, I've always wanted to travel the world. So I'm going to take these moments that we're going to be separated from each other and I'm going to travel all over. And don't worry, I'll send you postcards. And so she leaves and she goes back to her mother. And you know how mother-in-laws can be. I told you you never should have married him. He's such a bum. And she goes to her room, her old room, and she's sitting in her old room. And she's staying there for a week, two weeks. And after two weeks, she gets a postcard in the mail. It's a postcard from Switzerland, from her husband. And he sends a picture with the beautiful Alps. And on the postcard, he writes, hope everything's going well. I hope you settled in by your mother. I'm here in Switzerland. The scenery is beautiful. 
and he's describing the experiences that he has, and then he says, I met someone while I was here in Switzerland, and his wife is reading this and she's shaking. You met someone? We've been separated for two weeks. I didn't know that we were meeting other people. We were just, we were just taking a break from each other. And she's crying, and she's pouring out her heart. She doesn't know what to do with the postcard. She just puts it away. And two weeks later, she gets another postcard, this time from France. I'm in France. The food in France is amazing. I saw the Eiffel Tower. I went to the Louvre. I, I, I'm seeing so many amazing things in France. And I met someone. He met someone else. We've been separated for a month. He met a girl in Switzerland. He met a girl in France. Who is this guy? And, and has he forgotten about me? Two weeks later again, this time he's in Belgium. Two weeks later again, this time he's in Russia. And finally she decides, I can't stay by my parents anymore. Her mother's hacking her at China the entire time. She's divorced this guy. Look at him, he's meeting girls all over the world. He clearly has no interest in you. And she can't take it by her mother anymore, so she decides to go home. The home that she hasn't been in for a couple of months already. And she goes to open the door, she pulls out her key, and as she puts her key in the door, the door opens. It was unlocked. And she's nervous. Was my home ransacked? Was it broken into? But no, it appears that everything's in order. But she's still nervous. Maybe the intruder's in the house right now. So she starts tiptoeing through the house. And she sees that in her husband's study, the light is on. And she peeks into her husband's study. And lo and behold, who's sitting there? Her husband. Which doesn't make any sense, because she just literally got a postcard that he was halfway around the world. How did he get here? When did he get here? And so she walks into the room and she goes, what are you doing here? And then she notices, on the desk is a pile of postcards, each one from a different place in the world. And all of them are filled out, describing the experiences that he had and the girls that he met. And she said to him, why would you lie to me? Do you know how broken I was? Thinking that you were with all these other people? Why would you lie to me? And her husband breaks down crying and he says, I never wanted you to leave. But you were so angry at me. And you really said that you needed a break. And I didn't need a break. I didn't want a break. I wanted to stay together, but I saw that's what you needed. So I said, I'm going to give you the break. And I'll really give you a break. I'll let you know what it feels like when we're actually separated from each other. But you should know I've been here the entire time. I never left. Where else could I possibly be but with you? It's true that the brick and mortar of the Beishamikdash was destroyed. It's true that we're missing something so precious. But Rabbi Sai, if you think that a Kaddish Baruch Hu has left, you're sadly mistaken. Maybe that's why it's so hard to mourn. Because inside of ourselves, we know he's still there. We know that it's not possible that the Rebbe Shalom left us. And even though you could look at the world today and say, what, what do we represent already? We're the tiniest little fragment of the world. Billions of Muslims, billions of Christians. What do we represent already? And even though you could think that there's so many terrible tsaras have come upon us, La'alena, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's disinterested. And by the way, you should know that for generations, that's what the Christians said about the Jews. Do you really still think you're the chosen nation? How could it be? In the Holocaust, you thought you were the chosen nation. As you were being led to the gas chambers, you're the chosen nation. 
And the answer is, we're sitting here in Gullus and we're saying to HaKadosh Baruch how could you be with all of those other nations? Why would you leave us? Because we had a fight? All couples fight. And the Rabbani Shalom's answer to us is, I never left. I never left. But you had to see what it's like to live without me. One of the reasons the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed was Shlomo Berchu Batayr Tchilu. We didn't make a berch. We didn't make a berchas atayr. We didn't make a berchas atayr. We lost the Beis Hamikdash. No, it's because if you don't make a bracha on the Torah, you're saying, "I'll learn it. It's an intellectual pursuit." But where is God? Where is God? The truth of the matter is that we're in the final moments before Mashiach comes. And the truth of the matter is that Jews are returning. I want to tell you the single most powerful moment of my summer. The single most powerful moment of my summer was I had the opportunity to be with TJJ Bus 4 on a Friday night. We're sitting in the Nativarie porch overlooking the Kotel. Giving a schmooze about sacrifice. Whatever I said, it doesn't matter. But afterwards, one of the Majikot, an amazing Majikot from Cleveland, she comes over with a girl from Cleveland. And she says, the bird, this girl would like to ask you a question. Do you have time to speak with her? Now I wanted to go down to the Kota, to Daven Kabbalah Shabbos. You guys were there that Shabbos. I wanted to go down to the Kota. But if somebody asks you to speak, you don't say maybe later. Like Avram Avinu with his guests, even though he was in the middle of Daven to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he had the opportunity to serve Jews. He put aside the Daven for a couple of minutes. So I said, of course. And I sat down with this girl in her madricha. And the girl has a very anxious look on her face. And she says to me, I just started keeping Shabbos. And in my family, we don't keep Shabbos. And I'm really nervous. What's going to be when I go back to Cleveland? What if my parents aren't supportive? What if my parents say, none of this crazy Orthodox nonsense, you can't keep Shabbos. What do I do then? The tears are rolling down her face. And I started crying with her. But the tears were two very different tears. Her tears were tears of anxiety. What's going to be with my Shabbos? And my tears were, how come I don't feel like this girl feels? I'm so inspired by these public school kids that give up so much to come closer to Hashem. And I'm so spoiled that I get to live in Eretz Yisrael, and that I get to spend time with you in NCSY Kolo, that I get to learn. I'm so blessed. And because I'm so blessed, I don't feel it the way this girl feels it. And I wish I had even a tenth of the passion that she has. And I don't know what's going to be. She said to me, I don't know if I'm going to have the strength to do it. And I don't know if she would. Her madrichah was holding her hand and she was saying, 
We'll do it together. We live right down the block from each other. We'll do it together. You come to my house all the time. We are so blessed to have people in Kuala Yisrael like this girl. They say a Maisa about Ramesha Shapiro. That when Ramesha Shapiro was sitting in his sukkah once, a Balchuva came to him and he said, Rebbe, I feel like I feel like I contribute nothing. Like I don't know how to learn. You know, I, I, I'm learning how to daven, but I still bumpered over the words. Like, what am I contributing to Kali Yisrael? And Ramesha Shapiro, stay here with me. And there was a Simchas Beis Shaweva in in Ramesh Shapiro's house, in his sukkah. And many, many chashuva people came, Rabbanim, wealthy people, Rashi Yeshiva, they all came to be by Ramesh Shapiro. And Ramesh Shapiro was giving a shmooz. And he said, what will Mashiach say to each one of you when Mashiach comes? And he looked at the Rashiva and he said, Rashi Shiva, when Mashiach comes, he's going to say thank you for teaching my Talmudim Torah. My children, you made them your Talmudim. And he looked at an Askan, somebody who worked very hard for Kali Yisrael, and he said, Mashiach is going to thank you for your chesed. And he looked at a Shul Rabbi and he said, Mashiach is going to thank you for putting up with my children. Sometimes Shuls can be difficult. But nevertheless, you are a community leader. And then he looked at this Paul Tshuva and he said to him, when Mashiach comes, He's going to say, thank you, because it was you that brought me. Because the power of tshuva, real tshuva, that comes from there's something missing in my life. I'm missing that ava aza kirisvayesh. I wish I was in love, and I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get back in love. That's the kayak that brings Mashiach. I'd like to suggest, back to our original Gemara, the original Yushami. This Bedouin Arab, I have no idea how he spoke the language of Ashur, Manas. But look at the behavior of the Jew. The Bedouin Arab says, Stop! Mashiach, stop! Your base on English was destroyed. And then a moment later he says, Start plowing because Mashiach was just born. What brought Mashiach? What brought Mashiach was the moment that that Jew stopped plowing. I don't know what the Jew experienced in that moment. The Gemara doesn't say. But maybe, maybe we could suggest that in that one moment, his whole life came crashing down. Because he thought, it's not really going to happen, right? It's not, it can't really be that the Beis Hamikdash is going to be destroyed. And in the one moment, he dropped everything. That's what an ox represents. An ox represents the work that we do in our life. He dropped everything. And the brokenness that he felt in that one moment, a moment later, you can continue plowing because Mashiach was born. Mashiach is born from the yearning that we have. May it be Hashem's will that this is our last Tishabah. May it be Hashem's will, like the Maral says, that the yearning that we feel today will give birth to Mashiach. And even though right now it seems that Mashiach has still not yet come, it could very well be that in a couple of hours from now, at the kumzis of the world, <coughs> when we're sitting at the Makkah Achorbon, and you look up, and you see that mosque with that golden dome, if you'll think to yourself for a moment, this is not the way it's supposed to be. 
If for one moment you can yearn, if for one moment you can say, it's broken, and I don't want to feel this way anymore, maybe Mashiach will come to the comforts of the world. Maybe Mashiach will come to all those Jews gathered together of different shapes and different sizes, different stripes, and it doesn't matter what hats or what yarmulkes or a lack thereof. Maybe Mashiach will come because he'll see how badly we want him. Maybe we'll open that door and see that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was there the entire time writing postcards to us saying, I never left. We should be zeichet to greet Mashiach, take from Riyad Manish.